Good evening. Thanks for joining us. It's fair to say we're all anticipating when and how the provincial government will begin to ease the restrictions imposed to stop the spread of COVID-19, decisions that will determine our new normal. And while some businesses are submitting proposals to the government, others have already installed new measures in hopes of getting customers more comfortable to shop in person again. But is it helping or just providing a false sense of security? Julia Foy begins our coverage. At the Value on Liquor store in South Vancouver, management have closely followed all of the safety guidelines regarding COVID-19. But now they've gone a step further. The feedback has been fantastic. Staff love it. The store's just installed a new camera and computer program to check out how you're feeling. And we're using a cup of hot water to test the accuracy. Everyone coming into this store will first be greeted with a couple of posters saying, you're getting your temperature taken. If you're normal, the number's gonna show up on the screen. But if you happen to be running a little bit hot, the camera's gonna tell you, and you're gonna hear this noise. It's been set up to give a pre-alarm at 37 and a half degrees that you've got starting to have an elevated temperature. And at 38 degrees, the system will give an audible warning to the staff here that uh, somebody has come through the door with uh, an elevated temperature. The system is made by a company called Hike Vision. Frostad says it's been used in China, the U.S. and Eastern Canada. It costs several thousand dollars to install, but Vanderberg says the boss feels it's well worth the investment. So the system functions by itself. It doesn't require um, um, a staff member to monitor it. Last month, TNT grocery stores began taking customers' temperatures with heat guns to determine if they were safe to come inside. But Provincial Health Officer for BC, Dr. Bonnie Henry, isn't a big fan of the practice. About uh, two-thirds of people uh, to three-quarters have a, have a fever at some point, um, but not having uh, a, a fever doesn't mean that you're necessarily safe. But so far, these liquor store customers seem to be pleased with the concept. I think the last time was for, I think, either SARS or H1N1, but I'm pretty sure it was SARS. So you're good with it? I'm, I'm actually fine with it. Sure, would they throw me out if I have a temperature? I think they might suggest that you might not be well. Ah, okay. Well, that's a good way to find out rather than go to hospital, right? Next week, the B.C. government will announce plans for lifting some of the restrictions we've been living under during the COVID shutdown. It's unclear if using technology to track temperatures will be in the playbook, but Vanderberg is convinced it helps. Uh, everybody's very excited, I think. I'm very excited to keep everybody safe. Julia Foy, Global News. One of Victoria's oldest tourist attractions has reopened with physical distancing rules in place. After a five-week closure, Butchart Gardens reopened Friday. Visitors are being screened for symptoms and their travel history before being allowed to enter. Once inside, they must remain two metres apart from anyone who's not in their own group. All benches and seating have been removed. Gift shops, restaurants and most washrooms remain closed. University Golf Club will be reopening its course next Friday and again with stringent access policies. Physical distancing minimums of two metres will be mandatory at all times and the club says anyone with flu-like symptoms will be refused entry. All golf rounds must be booked in advance online. The golf shop, driving range, putting greens and academy will remain closed and the restaurant will offer takeout only. UBC maintains crews spent last month grooming the course and policing golfers who were teeing off despite the temporary closure.
New numbers released today show the COVID cases, the number of COVID cases continues to fall. The province's top doctor confirms there are 26 new cases, most of those linked to outbreaks at three poultry processing plants, the Mission Institution Federal Correctional Center, and workers returning from the Curl Lake plant in Alberta. We now have a total of 2,171 known cases. Tragically, two more people have died, bringing the death toll in this province to 114. The number in hospital, 72, with 23 in the ICU. To date, 1,376 confirmed cases have recovered. And despite the downward trend in numbers, Dr. Henry says personal services won't be allowed to open anytime soon. We won't be opening up barbers and stylists and, and some of the other um, uh, industries where we know that, there's, that you have to have some close contact until we're all comfortable that we have an appropriate plan to be able to do that safely for everybody involved. And Legislative Bureau Chief Keith Baldry joins us. Now, Keith, before we analyze the numbers, I hope your wife is good with a pair of scissors. <laughs> Yes, indeed, although she's saying that uh, she's not going to cut it until it gets really long. So this mop up here is going to get pretty unruly, I think, fairly quick. There's a, a, gallery, a picture in the press gallery of me calling me years ago. I've got hair down to here. It's rather curly. I hope we don't get to that you'll point. Have to but, uh, you'll have to tweet it out for us, Keith. <laughs> Too tempting. All right, the hospitalization rate is down again today. That's a positive trend. Very positive. At the beginning of the pandemic, I think I told everybody, health officials told me to keep an eye on two key numbers, hospitalizations and ICU numbers, critical care numbers, because they tell the story of what's going on. I want to take a look at what today's numbers and last week's numbers, this time last Saturday. 72 in hospital right now. Last Saturday was 96 when you and I talked, Colleen. That's a drop of 24. That is significant. ICU even more encouraging because it's much more serious cases. 23 in ICU right now. That compares to 41 at this time last week, a drop of 18 and meantime recoveries continue to escalate in the last week uh, 262 more people recovered uh, from uh, COVID-19 again that's very encouraging and that trend has been continuing for a number of days now on to the issue which do sort of dominated the briefing with Dr. Bonnie Henry today of reopening keep in mind that very few businesses have been ordered closed by Dr. Bonnie Henry most businesses have shut down on their own volition uh, because they haven't figured out how to deal with social distancing rules and Dr. Bonnie Henry addressed that today businesses will be encouraged to open for the most part but they've got to literally start looking at the physical distancing that has to occur there have to be physical barriers now set up in restaurants and she's got some ideas on that point there's a lot of protection that you get from a plexiglass barrier between you and somebody who, um, who in the grocery store, for example. So those are important things that we need to look at. Um, how can we make sure that those sorts of things are in place, that we have what we call administrative control, so it's reducing the numbers of people who are together in an enclosed space during a period of time, and personal protective equipment is part of that. So uh, we are, have been talking about things like non-medical masks. And when you can't, for example, maintain, consistently maintain the distance for short periods of time, it might be appropriate to wear a non-medical mask. So to recap, if you're a business owner out there, a restaurant owner, and you want people to come into your establishment, invest in some plexiglass panels, uh, create some physical barriers, mark out six foot long stretches where people can stand apart from each other, six feet apart, limit the number of people in your store, and give your employees, make sure they socially distance as well, and make perhaps give them non-medical masks. Don't take masks away from health, frontline health workers, but non-medical masks, and that should allow you to open up uh, it, whenever you actually want. You don't need a, a lifting of an order from 
Dr. Bonnie Henry, unless you're a restaurant or a bar. And tomorrow, no briefing from Dr. Bonnie Henry. The rest of the week's going to be pretty busy, folks. Monday is a big briefing from Dr. Henry and Adrian Dix with new modeling on uh, new numbers to expect going forward. And that will set the stage for what I think is Wednesday's announcement by Premier John Horgan, which will inform British Columbians just how those restrictions will be eased and probably in a, in a phased plan. Other provinces do it in three to five phases. BC will probably follow suit along those lines. But again, we're going to get more clarity this week how our economy can begin to breathe again. All right. Thanks for that, Keith. A man had to be rescued after he fell while trying to climb down into a void space in downtown Vancouver. It happened this afternoon at Cordova and Burrard. The man was climbing down a broken tree that had been used as a makeshift ladder. It's believed homeless people climbed down into the space below and used the covering as shelter. While climbing, he fell about 20 feet and hit his head. A passerby heard his call for help. A technical team from Vancouver Fire responded, successfully pulling the man out. Unfortunately, with the COVID-19, there's not much we can do about uh, a call like this. The members have to work in close unison to, to extricate a patient. So um, it, is, it is a thought. It's always in our mind about uh, maintaining a safe distance. But right now, uh, when we extricate a patient from a situation like that, it's tough to maintain that six feet di distance. BC Housing says more than 180 people have moved out of the tent city encampments, including 96 from Topaz Park and the Pandora Corridor in Victoria. As for Vancouver, as of 4 o'clock Friday afternoon, 85 people had also moved from the Oppenheimer Park area. A couple of hours after that, several tents in the downtown Eastside Park went up in flames. No one was hurt, fortunately. Crews are fencing off sections of the park that have been cleared out as campers move to hotel and community centre accommodations. The deadline to clear Oppenheimer and the two Victoria tent cities is one week today. It's an annual sign of the season. The Vancouver Farmers Markets open for the summer season today. And as Nadia Stewart reports, BC farmers are wondering how fruitful this year will be. Uncertainty due to the COVID-19 crisis has upended the whole farm-to-table industry. The Trout Lake Farmers Market was a magnet Saturday morning, with shoppers lining up to buy local. Farmers say they're pivoting just to keep up with demand. We're harvesting as much as we can, although we're already selling out, as you can see. Um, but we're planting like maniacs right now. Because we started at uh, the markets, were still going on all winter. We were March, that first week of March, it, the markets were insane. People were lining up four blocks long, trying to get food. Kevin Klippenstein says COVID-19 presented both unique challenges and opportunities as concerned over food security grew. We started uh, growing stuff that we normally don't grow. We got turnips and radishes in the ground. Our potatoes, where we normally grow a little bit of potatoes, we end up going with uh, a full-on uh, acre of potatoes. The Vancouver markets will have a different look and feel this summer season. We're running an outdoor grocery store. For now, gone are the days of looky-loo weekend shopping. Traffic is controlled, signs are posted, and efficiency is key. We are running an online order system that's just getting off the ground right now, so you can even in some cases pre-order some of your products from your vendors to just speed up your shopping trip and make it a little bit more efficient so that we can get as many people into the market as possible. The change is all part of a much-needed effort to keep people coming. The biggest problem will be if we invest a huge amount into this season and then um, our regular customers don't come to the farmer's markets and we're left with a whole bunch of produce with nowhere to, to sell.
community support being a make or break factor. Nadia Stewart, Global News. In the Okanagan, more out-of-province workers arrived in the region for seasonal agricultural work. And as Darian Matassa-Fung reports, one campsite has opened to receive those workers. With summer on the horizon, so is the Okanagan's most fruitful season. And that brings an influx of out-of-province workers. One campground in Oliver has been open to receive them. It's important we have the campground open. Uh, this gives us some measure of, uh, of control and, uh, and uh, gives us uh, the ability to uh, educate the campers as to how to, how to uh, fulfill our protocols for mitigation. Loose Bay Campground opened on May 1st and already has about 15 workers staying there, with the majority coming from Quebec. The campground is now being operated by the Regional District of okanagan Similkameen. The RDOS has jumped in to try and help the uh, farming community by making sure that procedures are in place to prevent the spread of COVID-19. Thompson says he's expecting upwards of 250 workers at the campground. We'll have to really see how things go. There will be bylaw officers available as well as uh, people on site who operate the camp to keep an eye on things. RDOS staff want to ensure the public in the area that they are doing everything they can to mitigate the spread of COVID-19. In a release, they said the measures in place include closing the kitchen and communal areas, not allowing campfires to ensure physical distancing, and discussing how campers will be able to safely self-isolate or quarantine. While no measures are in place yet, the regional district is working on how to deal with the situation if a worker is found with COVID-19. I've been doing some background work on that, and I think what we'd like to see is that uh, they are removed from the campsite and, and put in a hotel that can accommodate this kind of thing. The RDOS says the accommodations at Loose Bay Campground are an important part of giving workers a safe place to stay while allowing farmers to hire the labor they need. Darian Matassa Fung, Global News, Oliver. It's a missing persons case shrouded in mystery. April Parisian was last heard from in late March. Today, her family and friends scoured the upper Fraser Valley for any sign of the 45-year-old. Sarah McDonald has more on the search and why the circumstances surrounding April's disappearance are suspicious. She hasn't been seen or heard from in over a month. And investigators say April Parisian may have met with foul play. Still, those who love her are steadfast. They'll bring her home. It's been one thing after another. Of course, yeah, the pandemic and then with my sister going missing, it's, it's absolutely heart-wrenching. Parisian's brother leading a search party sweeping the Fraser Valley Saturday again, desperately seeking any sign of the 45-year-old from Spasm. This is the third week that we've um, organized the search for April. Parisian's confidants believe she may have been experiencing domestic abuse at the hands of her partner, Paris Margeson, whose death turned this missing persons case into a homicide investigation. It really feels guilty to have that, to know that maybe we should have done more. And Margeson believed to have died by suicide two weeks ago after an interaction with responding officers who located him with Parisian's vehicles shortly after she was reported missing. And then that's when he was found deceased after a short conversation with the RCMP. 
Anyone who may have seen Parisian in her red Chevrolet pickup truck in late March or early April is asked to contact investigators who, along with her family, don't have a clear timeline of exactly when she went missing. Well, we could be looking at a timeline from March 28th to the date of April 15th when Paris reported April missing. And I believe he only reported her missing because he was starting to get questioned from family of where April was. And so long as those questions remain unanswered, Parisienne's brother says he won't stop searching for his sister. She'd get the shirt off her back if she could. Pleading with the public for any information that could lead him there. Sarah McDonald, Global News. RCMP are looking for witnesses to a fatal crash on Highway 97 in Peachland last night. Just after 9.30, emergency crews were called to a head-on collision on Drought Hill. A Buick sedan crossed the center line, slamming into a Mazda. The driver of the Mazda was pronounced dead at the scene. The crash also caused two other vehicles to collide. Anyone who saw it happen or who may have dash cam video is asked to call the Central Okanagan Traffic Service. They are on the front lines of the food supply chain, transporting essential goods across the country. But since COVID-19 hit, truckers have been struggling to find meals or washrooms along their long-haul routes. Well, now commercial drivers are finally seeing some relief. As Kristen Robinson reports, it's all thanks to an outpouring of support from the industry, the government, and a group that works from their own trucks. Driving the Coquihalla during COVID-19 has never been more lonely for the long-haul driver. The biggest problem is the bathrooms and a lot of restaurants are closed. The commercial truckers driving the supply chain by delivering food and essential goods, often missing meals themselves. Well, but I'm doing, we are hungry all day. It's been very challenging for these guys out on the roads. But now there's hot food off Highway 5. From BC to Alberta, this is my favorite part. They provide us a veggie food. Even they provide us Indian tea. Good to Thank see you. you. Southbound between Hope and Merritt, the lunch bucket, one of eight food trucks now serving rest areas and way scales across BC. The industry and the province pulling out all the stops to get meals for truck drivers BC up and running. Along with a meal, a clean bathroom. It's been really nice. A lot of people have stepped up. Truckers literally had nowhere to stop to grab a bite to eat, uh, nowhere to stop to relieve themselves. Trucking companies also giving back with free food drive throughs We call them frontliners so they get the supply chain going. We gotta keep going, keep going. Cheers, thanks, man. That's pretty nice for the truckers. We anticipate the initiative just to take fire right across the country. Hopefully it it um, it lasts. Hopefully it continues when all this craziness goes away. Heartened truckers hoping the support and respect for what they do will survive the pandemic. Kristen Robinson, Global News. A Vancouver City Councillor is calling out illegal dumpers after a scofflaw trashed Strathcona Park again. Green Party Councillor Pete Fry discovered this pile of garbage this morning. He says it's the second or third time in two weeks someone has dumped large quantities of household trash in the city park. Fry says the latest truck full, which included planters and a soccer ball, would have cost less than $20 to dump properly, but will now cost the city a lot more. I can't even comprehend what goes through somebody's mind when they do something like this, frankly. It's a, it's a lovely park. It's a public park. It's a place enjoyed by everyone. And to come and dump your garbage there just blows my mind. It's not even like they put it in a bin. They just backed up the truck and dumped it there. So 
and we see piles of garbage like this. If they're not addressed quickly, they pile up and they turn into bigger piles of garbage. People just don't care. So let's just not do it in the first place. Fry's urging anyone who witnesses illegal dumping to call 311 and report the license plate or any other identifying information. Offenders can be fined between $100 and $10,000 under the city's street and traffic bylaws. In Fort McMurray, except for one, all mandatory evacuation orders have been lifted as floodwaters finally begin to recede. But it's left a major mess. Major chain stores like Rona and Walmart are still closed as they try to clean up. And thousands are still without power and gas as they begin the difficult task of seeing whether anything can be salvaged. And as Albertans impacted by the flooding prepare to return to their communities, experts warn the threat of COVID-19 remains. And as Heather Urex west explains, the recovery process will have to be done carefully to ensure one emergency isn't compounded by the other. In 2013, after floodwaters devastated southern Alberta, the people of High River worked shoulder to shoulder to help their neighbours clean up. Community efforts that may not be possible today thanks to COVID-19. People are just going to say, screw it, we need to get this done anyway. Or, I mean, and some people will wear masks and stuff and try and maintain their distance. But at some point, what's more important? The laid laws came so close to losing everything for a second time. Their house burned down in 2016. They've only been back in there a year and a half. But while this time around their house was spared, many of their neighbours weren't so lucky. To have the flood on top of what's happening with the COVID is is really um, horrifying in some ways. Alberta health officials have put measures in place to reduce the risk of an outbreak during the evacuation. People have been put up in hotels and motels instead of crowded shelter spaces. But it's when the water recedes and everyone returns to clean up that the risk of an outbreak may start to rise. I think when you cannot maintain the physical distancing, this is where those other measures come in as an absolute critical defence. Dr Jenny says volunteers will need proper PPE. He also recommends people be restricted to bubble zones so that if an outbreak happens, it stays contained. And testing. Testing will be key. Given the, the risk of an outbreak, we need to be sure we're in there testing people regularly, and not just people with symptoms. There aren't many cases of COVID-19 in the region right now, so it should be possible for neighbours to help one another in a safe way. That's a good thing, because right now in this community, the desire to help each other out is strong. People are starting to talk again. People are starting to uh, want to know how people are doing. Uh, the sense of community is coming back. Heather Urex West, Global News, Calgary. North Korean leader Kim Jong-un has made his first public appearance in almost three weeks. On Friday, he cut a ribbon to mark the completion of a fertilizer factory near Pyongyang. State media video shows Kim walking, talking and smoking during the ceremony. He hadn't been seen in public since April 11th, sparking rumors he was seriously ill or dead. In Health Matters tonight, alarming news of particular interest to parents of young children. Tonight, doctors around the world are meeting, concerned about a rare but potentially deadly complication they're seeing in children that could lead to heart failure. 12-year-old Julia Daly, emergency airlifted to a Louisiana hospital after complaining of stomach pain. And at what point, what moment did you know that something was wrong? Her lips were blue and her arms were cold. Her body was going into shock. There, she tested positive for coronavirus and things took a terrifying turn. Her heart rate started dropping even more. It went from 40 
to 20 to zero. And they called a code and they did two minutes of CPR on her. And thank God they were able to bring her back. Julia suffered from cardiac arrest, her doctor's belief triggered by a new rare complication of COVID-19. So far, there have been nearly 100 reported cases in the US and Europe. This new shock syndrome is really a very small tip of a larger iceberg. With some children reporting a red rash all over their bodies, strikingly similar to an uncommon childhood illness called Kawasaki disease. How's it different from Kawasaki disease? The body's immune response is much more exaggerated than in typical Kawasaki disease. And the heart is the major target. With concern mounting, leading doctors from around the globe joined the World Health Organization, CDC, and NIH for a virtual meeting tonight to exchange information and investigate the unusual condition. While the nation's top doctors have said for weeks that children are mostly spared from coronavirus, they do not necessarily at all get serious disease. A new warning for all parents. Take this pandemic seriously and make sure you continue to social distance. We almost lost her. As more and more people wear face masks in public, parents are now wondering how young is too young to put masks on your children. One of the iconic images of the pandemic is of nurses in Indonesia holding newborns with tiny face shields. Around the world, parents are wondering how to keep babies safe once they leave the hospital. Now, the U.S. Center for Disease Control says cloth masks don't belong on children under the age of two because of the risk of suffocation. Instead, doctors are advising parents to keep babies two meters away from others in public and consider draping a blanket over an infant seat or carrier. Way, uh, you know, the baby can still breathe comfortably, uh, but there's a little bit of a barrier there. Whatever we cover his car seat with is immediately getting washed when we get it home, or anything that we're bringing in the house is getting washed as soon as we bring it home. It's, it's uh, chaotic. Doctors say the same rules apply to anyone who may be incapacitated. If someone is not able to remove a mask by themselves or if they start having breathing problems, there should be no, they should not be wearing a mask. Forecast first, then we'll have a reveal the name. Uh, here's a quick glance. It was unsettled uh, through the day today. The winds have been the big weather story. The special weather statement across the south coast, Metro Vancouver, has now been dropped. But we are still seeing some windy conditions uh, early this evening before things really do start to die down for the winds. But we are tracking the return for some rainfall and more in just a moment. 11 right now. We do have some cloud cover out of the airport areas towards the west drier at this hour. A southerly wind up to 17 kilometers per hour. But this is the moisture. We've got a few waves very heavy at times. Areas near Maple Ridge pushing in towards the Fraser Valley and areas east still seeing some heavier pockets of rainfall this evening and continuing overnight. Here's a quick glance at the front that we have been tracking. Even some instability is going to push in and now as the system moves in towards the interior, the southern half of the province, still very windy conditions. Areas near the Okanagan will be included within that. A look at some of the peak wind gusts that we've seen today out of the airport this afternoon, close to 50 kilometers per hour. Saturna Island close to 60 areas near Abbotsford at 40 and hope this afternoon just over 40 kilometers per hour leaves off especially as we get in towards the evening a quick glance at the current numbers so we've got a sustained wind just out of the airport at 17 but it's still windy for southern and eastern areas near Victoria with gusts up to 52 kilometers per hour here's the front that we're tracking so lots of instability is going to kick up we do have a chance of showers overnight and for the morning hours continuing through the day the big 
one of the story that will be falling for Metro Vancouver is the risk of thunderstorms, and that starts to push in morning and then continuing for the afternoon. If you're traveling along the mountain passes with this front, we do have the snow level that is dropping, and there is some snowfall, especially for higher elevations. Areas near the summit for the Coquihalla, 5 and up to 10 centimeters, similar for the Rogers Pass, and lesser amounts along the Connector, Allison Pass, and Kootenai Pass, 2 and up to 4 centimeters. It'll start off as rain this evening, change over to snow, see it for the morning hours, and then it should start to ease off. But there is some snowfall if you're planning on heading towards the mountain passes. A glance overnight tonight, so we do have that chance of showers, risk of a thunderstorm, so it'll be fairly gray through the day and then towards the evening tomorrow it'll ease off and it'll be much drier once again. Upper level forecast wanted to show you a look ahead and towards next week. It'll be unsettled for the first few days and then approaching Thursday, Friday, Ridge is going to build in a nice bright spot across the province. We do have some sunshine and temperatures are going to bump up closer to 20 degrees. So something to look forward to. Tomorrow, however, still unsettled along the coast. Windy conditions up to 60 kilometers per hour. The risk of thunderstorms inland. All of the central interior and especially the southeastern corners. The Colombian Kootenai risk of thunderstorms. Thompson Okanagan, it's very windy this evening. Through the day tomorrow, just a chance for some isolated showers. A heads up still for the morning. The snow level sitting closer to 1,300 meters. South coast, we'll see the instability. Risk of a thunderstorm. It'll be on and off over the next couple of days for rainfall, dry through the day on Monday, Wednesday a few showers and then really looking ahead and looking for will be with Thursday, Friday with temperatures starting to warm up and some sunshine too. Colleen? Lovely. Thanks so much, Yvonne. Okay, first, Kensington Palace released new photos today of Princess Charlotte to mark her fifth birthday. The photos were taken by her mom on the royal family's Sandringham estate last month. And they show the only daughter of the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge helping to deliver food parcels to local pensioners who have found themselves isolated because of the COVID-19 lockdown. And we are getting our first look at UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson and his fiancée Carrie's new baby, who seems to have inherited his dad's full head of hair. The couple have named him Wilfred Laurie Nicholas Johnson in honour of their grandfathers and also the two doctors who treated the Prime Minister while he was in hospital with COVID-19, doctors Nick Price and Nick Hart. Don't you think that was a good choice? Oh, that's very special. Very sweet. Yeah. Nice way to remember them, too. Yeah. And he's kind of got big hair, like kind of like yours, Bear. He's got big, a lot going on. Big Boris hair going on. <laughs> but I get to tell him, uh, sometimes it falls out. Then it comes back. You okay. hope it comes back. You as hope, a guy, yeah. I'm saying. You hope. Right. Babies you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. And, I thought you were talking about us. Late and later. Yeah. <laughs> What do you got coming up later, speaking cycle. of which? Well, uh, the NHL is thinking of having their NHL draft next month, which is odd because it's always after the season's over. So we'll fill you in on that and how that may affect the Canucks if they decide to go ahead with that. And the uh, hockey players out at the uh, Yale Academy in Abbotsford, everyone's got a lot of time on their hands, so they did some fancy stick work, put it on video, and uh, we'll show you some of that as well. It's pretty amazing. I'm looking mm -hmm. forward to that. Okay, thanks, Barry. People in Alberta can now download an app that will track when they come in contact with someone who has contracted COVID-19, if that person has also downloaded the app. Health officials say it will help manage the pandemic, but as Global's Fletcher Kent explains, it requires 40% of the population to use it, and it also raises privacy concerns. COVID-19 remains a threat, but there's a drive to get out, to get back to normal. Well, AHS says there's now an app that could help. 
providing this information voluntarily is crucial to our work to prevent the spread of COVID-19. Alberta Trace Together is the first contact tracing app available in North America. Every time users pass one another, their phones record the encounter using Bluetooth. Encrypted data will be stored on the phone. Now, if one of those users tests positive for COVID-19, the user can upload their interactions to AHS, and a contact tracer would call the numbers the phone registered, telling them to self-isolate. Like bringing a camera into focus, these techniques give us a far clearer picture that help us to inform our actions going forward. Now, the app stores only phone numbers, no locations. It doesn't use GPS, but tracking still raises privacy questions. Alberta's privacy commissioner says she has been involved and she supports enhanced contact tracing. In a statement, she adds, in my view, Alberta Health has chosen a less intrusive approach in deploying this app. Now, a privacy expert and the former Ontario Privacy Commissioner says less intrusive can still be concerning. The risk for me is after the pandemic is over, that this information could continue to be used afterwards. Uh, we need very clear sunset clauses. All of this is voluntary, but the more who download, the more effective it will be. Now, in Singapore, 20% of people downloaded a similar app. In Australia, that's at 12%. Here, AHS hopes for higher numbers. But there is some apprehension, even amongst those anxious to end the pandemic. I think that the app has its um, you know, good uses. However, it's not something I would partake in. Probably not the first one to use it. Uh, but again, it, for people that do, and if it's something that's going to benefit the public, uh, it's obviously something we'd look at, especially as a family. Fletcher Kent, Global News. In France, fire department dogs are being trained to recognize the COVID-19 molecule the same way they can with cancer, Parkinson's disease, and epilepsy. A firefighter says it remains to be proven that the COVID molecule actually gives off a particular smell. Despite this uncertainty, they are trying to get dogs used to picking up the scent. And the experiment is expected to last several more weeks. Barry joins us now with a look at sports. And Barry, it is an event that hockey fans look forward to every year, but... Is it going to happen? Uh, well, it's going to happen. We're just not sure when it's going to happen. Ah. It's definitely going to be held, you know, virtually, of course, not you know, like Vancouver did last year at Rogers or at uh, Rogers Arena. The NHL draft has always uh, been held after they hand out the Stanley Cup, of course, but this year is different for obvious reasons. And the league has put out a memo trying to convince teams that the draft should be held in the next month or so while the league figures a way to complete its 2019-20 season. They feel having an event like this while live sports are on pause would be good uh, PR for the NHL. They would determine draft order by win percentage, so that means the Canucks would be a playoff team and not be eligible for the lottery, and that is great news for them. Now remember, the Canucks gave up a conditional first-round pick in the J.T. Miller trade with Tampa. The Lightning have since dealt that pick to the Devils, so that means that first-round pick would be around 17th, which is much easier to stomach than, say, if it was a top-three pick. By the way, most NHL teams are not in favor of an early draft, but the league is trying to convince them otherwise. Now, if the league ever does start up again, likely in July, the only way possible would be to have these hub cities where many teams would play each other out of the same rink. We haven't heard if the Canucks are making a bid to become one of those hosts, but Edmonton has been reported as being interested, and their mayor says he is on board if all the health precautions are in place.
you know, the Oilers were on a tear this year, so I think we all want to see that come to fruition. And if there is an opportunity, again, respecting public health and public safety, um, for for the city and uh, Rogers Place and the Oilers organization to be a part of helping the NHL finish the season, I think we'd be very open to that. But I would say it's not at the top of our list compared to some of the other challenges that we're dealing with right now. Formula One is targeting a start day of July 5th in Austria, and the plan is to run doubleheader races on the same track on consecutive weekends. F1 is hopeful it can stage between 15 and 18 of the 22 scheduled Grand Prix. It's already postponed or canceled the first 10 races of their season. Well, staying busy without being on their screens is a challenge for kids of all ages, but uh, Jay Janauer discovered that members of the Yale Lions Hockey Academy in Abbotsford have come up with some fun and skillful ways to pass the time. Hockey tricks. Hockey tricks and then some. With rinks closed and no practices or games to be played, the boys at the Yale Hockey Academy in Abbotsford have been getting creative. One of the challenges I think it came from our uh, U18 coach Mark Hollick was to, uh, was to demonstrate some sort of uh, stick handling skill. And uh, lo and behold, uh, we started to see our kids post on Twitter and social media and some of them were actually quite impressive. All four teams at Yale from midget prep all the way down to the players on the Bantam and Bantam varsity are throwing down their sick stick skills. Now it may not count on the score sheet, but these tricks have gone viral on social media and you can see why. I think it's pretty cool seeing what other people can think of, like ping pong trick shots, hockey trick shots, basketball, and some people are making like skits and stuff, so it's pretty cool to see what other people are thinking of. Yeah, some of it's crazy, you know, people doing different sort of hockey tricks, golf tricks, everything else. It's just cool to see, you know, within the COVID-19 stuff happening. I think there was one that's been viewed uh, over 10,000 times. Um, so it's, yeah, it's, it's, you know, when you, when you have competitive kids like this, they try to always one-up uh, each other. So one kid does uh, an amazing trick and another kid wants to do something a little bit better. And uh, some of the stuff, man, shooting pucks off their roof and landing them in buckets and whatever, it's, uh, it's been pretty fun. This is just a neat little way and you know we've had different challenges uh, from different other coaches. Uh, there was one where it was uh, time how quickly you can get undressed and these kids were, were getting undressed pretty quick so the parents at home know that it can be done so <laughs> it's, uh, it's been a lot of fun. A lot of fun but also beneficial to skill development. You just don't pick up a stick and this magically happens. Eventually, when the time comes to return to the ice, all of the boys will be better off because of the work they've put in off of it. Yeah, I'd say i definitely getting better with my hand-eye coordination. That's helping a lot. And I'd say it can also like help with stick handling too. Definitely, when you're in front of the net going for tips, D-man shooting, get that little stick on there, get a goal or something. I think it helps with most hand-eye. Uh, I, I had no idea that our kids could do some stuff like that, so... It, it, it's been pretty neat to see. Serious stick sauce indeed. Jay Janower, Global Sports. The gang's all here. That means it's time for our nightly thank you to our BC healthcare heroes. Yvonne, who is it tonight? 
Tonight we are honoring the staff at Island Health Molecular Lab. This small group is responsible for all molecular lab testing for the entire health authority. Wow. The group has consistently maintained a 24-hour turnaround for COVID-19 testing even before the pandemic was declared. Oh They're God. a group of unsung heroes that no one sees, but without their knowledge and expertise in providing essential diagnostic testing and results and treatment, pandemic modeling information would be handicapped. So thank you all. That's a great shot as well. And if you have a healthcare hero to nominate, email us a few photos to bchealthcareheroes at globalnews.ca and tell us why they're your hero. A photo, a description is always very helpful. Always. Oh, that's so awesome. Thanks for that, Yvonne.